and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk, Series 3, Episode 14. This week is Guest Week and I have Emma Cannon on the podcast for you, a fertility specialist. She introduces herself at the beginning of the podcast so well, I'm not even going to try. But before we get into that, I just wanted to say a very happy belated Mother's Day. Some of you have asked me... after last week's podcast whether Hendrik did come through and he did he bought a beautiful card some flowers and my favorite chockies so it was a really really lovely day I hope you all had a wonderful day as well and let's get straight into the podcast so enjoy if you have any questions listen to the end and you can get in contact with us both The quality of this recording isn't fantastic but 10 minutes in I promise you it gets a whole lot better so do stick with it So my name is um, Emma Cannon. I've been um, working as a facility specialist for the past 25 years. Um, I started um, my career in that direction as an acupuncturist and um, have since sort of added to my my remit, I guess. So my approach to fertility is very eclectic. I work alongside Western medicine practitioners. I work with IVF clinics. I look at diet and lifestyle and also put together programs for people who are struggling to conceive, but also women who want to improve their health prior to conception. Um, And recently, there's been a rise of people, women wanting to come and see me who want to preserve their fertility. So perhaps um, it's more of a gynecological issue or they have no periods or they have polycystic or they want to talk about everything. It covers the whole um, before pregnancy and also into pregnancy as well. So that's really my area of expertise. I sit very much in between Western medicine, controversy therapies. Um, I I integrate everything. I'm a believer in whatever works, and I always joke that if you come and see me, you might get a referral from for a surgeon or a shaman or anything in between. Um, I've also written four books on the subject, um, The Baby Making Bible I wrote in 2009, and my most recent book, Fertile, I wrote um, more recently, I think I wrote, I think that was published in 2017. In 2018, I um, did a digital program, which is an online program um, called The 90 Days Fertile, and that is a digital program where you get sent something every day, and it's very, very layered, it covers all aspects of living a more fertile life, actually, whether you want to have a baby or not. So that's me. Amazing. Thank you so much. Like I said earlier, absolute superwoman. (laughs) Um, Okay, so a couple of things I just wanted to pick up um, on what you just said, because I can relate straight away to those um, are missing periods, because I know there are a lot of women out there, especially um, I find talking to some listeners around my age when they started to come off the pill were thinking about um, wanting to have children. And that was one thing that I struggled with. I actually didn't have a period for about two years and I was lucky enough that they did actually just come back. And I think there were a couple of reasons for my missed periods. I lost a lot of weight when I got married and then I put weight back on again. So I yo-yoed quite a bit. And I think I was quite stressed at one point as well, which may have contributed to that factor. Um, 
And obviously being on the pill, I think I was on the pill for, gosh, probably seven or eight years. But I know that there are a lot of worried women out there who are either still on the pill worrying if they're going to get their periods back or some who still haven't got their periods back. Is there, what what can women do to kind of lessen the worry around missed periods and also improve their fertility, I guess, or their period health. I don't really know what the right word is for it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the work I do is is optimising the menstrual cycle and helping women regain their periods or regulate their periods or or any work around the periods. So periods are my most favourite subject, love periods. Um, (laughs) In Chinese medicine, it's said that we can tell anything about a woman's health from her menstrual cycle alone. So, so I do spend a lot of time talking about, about periods, the flow of them, the colour of the blood, the pain, everything, emotions, nerves a lot. Um, so, um, but obviously no period is um, a big issue. And although in the press they'll have you believe that, you know, women leaving it too late is the biggest reason why, you know, women are childless, actually um, no period or no ovulation is um, the biggest cause of infertility. So, but a lot of people aren't actually infertile. They fall into that sort of sub-fertile category. Um, and uh, that, that is a large proportion of the women I see. So exactly as you said, they either have um, post-pill amenorrhea, so they've been on the pill a long time, and, and it doesn't, the period doesn't return after being on the pill, or hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is often caused by over-exercise and weight loss. As you can imagine, this is massively growing area, mm. mostly fueled by Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Instagram, and I think it allows women to share and support one another. But actually, there is a, let's say there's a dark side to wellness. Um, and, and that is that all of what, not all of what is being put on Instagram and under the heading of wellness is actually wellness. I would call a lot of it illness. So that is, you know, very, you know, women over-exercising, very low body fat, very extreme exercise regime. I mean, some, you know, I was watching somebody the other day, somebody with a lot of followers, you know, they've just been to a case, they said, oh, I've just got, done a really sweaty workout and now I've come home and now I'm going to do, um, you know, a video. I mean, it, it's just not necessary to do that amount of exercise. Mm. Um, and, you know, a lot of the time, these are people who have got, you know, who, who are influencers, who have got no training, they've got no clinical experience, yet they're touting their unhealthy lifestyles as the, what we should all be, uh, you know, prescribing to. So that actually makes my blood boil because it's causing a lot of problems. And in the last five years, I've seen a great increase in women with no periods caused by over-exercising, you know, and extreme diet, like cutting out a lot of food from their diet. Mm. So how we deal with that in clinic is, um, is by, you know, reintroducing much more healthy um, lifestyle. Sometimes you have to stop exercise altogether because the, the effect on the hypothalamus has been so damaging that any kind of exercise puts the body into fight or flight. So sometimes we have to stop all exercise or at least reduce it down um, to make sure that there's enough calories going in, that, that, that there's the right kind of calories. And we also use acupuncture. But this can be quite difficult to treat and this can you know, actually take away a woman's most fertile years. 
So this is an area that I'm very passionate about and that I, you know, I sweep out regularly because actually a lot of those, the bodies that you might want for, you know, a beautiful dress for your wedding day or for the red carpet, it's not the body you need to be conceiving. No. Absolutely. And oh, I can relate so, so much to that. I am... Um... I've certainly felt the pressures of Instagram once in a while. Um, and b- before, yeah, before I got pregnant, I was certainly not in, I did not have the right body to support um, growing a baby. Absolutely not. And I, I had to do some serious work, but I think I was lucky in the fact that because I was quite in touch with my body, I knew what I'd been doing to it and I was able to recognize it quickly enough. Whereas I think, and you're right, with Instagram, it definitely does impact it is that sometimes you don't recognize it quite fast enough. And then it can have, it can have quite big effects, can't it? As as you've been describing, as you go on to make, want, want to start a family. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, and, and it's very difficult when, when you're in that mindset, it's very difficult. And, you know, I, there's sometimes that conflict within a woman. They want to have a baby, but they also want to be thin. You know, mm-hmm. actually, the one thing you're not going to be when you have a baby is thin, because you're going to, you know. So th- there is there is a disease there, actually. And um, you know, we all know that orthorexia is on the increase, and and all the rest of it. And this is not this is not have me having a you know a skin a bash at skinny people, because some people are naturally skinny. But it's it is more at at some of the unhealthy. Um, things that are being touted as wellness that really aren't wellness at all. Absolutely. And just stress, can stress have a big um, impact on periods? Yeah, I mean, really interestingly, actually, there was a, a meta-analysis done, and that's where, you know, somebody in a, in a in an office or a lab will look at hundreds and thousands of papers that have been written on the impact of stress and fertility. And the most recent one was done on the effects of stress and IVF, and they found that there was no link with stress at all. But, I mean, dream dream on, you know, that they found that, that stress had no impact on the outcome of IVF. I mean, I just, you know, I just... I just find that incredible. I mean, you only have to look at what happens in the body when somebody is stressed. We see um, erectile dysfunction, so an inability to maintain an erection. We see loss of libido. We see problems with ovulation. So, you know, already we can see on a very physical level that um, that the function of the body is reduced in times of stress. And this happens very commonly, commonly with when couples start to try and suddenly, you know, their their sex life, which was always very healthy, suddenly it's got all of this pressure around it, um, and it becomes something really different. And I see I see couples really struggle with this. Um, also, ovulation. I think you know we can see that in times of stress, women's ovulation can be delayed. Um, and for there are there are some papers coming through about this, but it's very slow. Um, and also, it's very hard to measure. So you ha- you'll have a meta-analysis. It's you know somebody who's never deals with patients is looking at. They're just looking at cold data. But we're more than we're more than just data. You know, we're we're spiritual beings. You know, I think if, if you were looking at a cow or a, a horse and you wanted them to conceive, you would give them the best food. You would put them. You know, we would make sure that they're not exposed to any kind of stress. You know, they even give them massages and things like that. <laughs> but, 
but it comes to you and you're like, no, 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 it's fine. Stress, you know, stress doesn't have any impact at all. But you know, when we when we put out a lot of stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, it actually floods our body with uh, with chemicals that tells us that it's not we're not safe and it isn't an optimal time to conceive. And the optimal time to conceive is when you're in parasympathetic which has a, the nickname the feed or breed setting so that tells you something mm-hmm. do you want to be in fight or flight <laughs> which means you're in danger or do you want to be in feed or breed i think you want to be in feed or breed absolutely so, you know it definitely has an impact as far as i'm concerned so i imagine then when you are if if you are struggling to have or, or to conceive, then that that pressure of having sex right at the right time will put you back into that fight or flight potentially. Yes, exactly, exactly. So yeah, and I think some people are in fight or flight just crossing the road. You know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they look like they look like they're going to war. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I and I think as well, you know, there's look. There's a reason why you have an orgasm with when you have sex. It's because, you know, when you have an orgasm, your body gets flooded with the right kind of, of hormones and brain chemicals that make you feel good, you know. They're the same love hormones, serotonin, dopamine, endorphins. We get flooded with these um, these chemicals. And actually, if you're sort of putting a lot of pressure around sex and it becomes very functional, then you've got to question whether those hormones are going to be produced and released in quite the same way. Mm. So I think this will be the next area of discovery in fertility. You know, I think we will begin to see that actually, you know, how we feel, the quality of our relationship, the quality, you know, intimacy, sexual arousal, all of those things have have a role to play in our ability to produce an egg or release an egg and also to implant um, an embryo. Yeah. So if, um, for the listeners out there, as I mentioned earlier, this this isn't um, uh, something that I've experienced, but if you are struggling to conceive, what what can you do to help yourself? If, if you, if you have, or maybe haven't your periods, what's, what can, what can you do? What's your first step, second step? I mean, the, I mean, the first thing to say is that the last thing I'm saying to people is you just need to relax and you're going to, you know, have a baby because that's the most irritating thing. <laughs> Never in the history of, you know, telling someone to relax has, <laughs> has that had the desired effect. It normally has the opposite effect. Yeah. So what, what I do is I try and help people, women and couples cultivate this themselves and to, to identify the resources that they already have and to help build on that. And that's what my 90 Days Fertile program was about. It's about identifying what resources that you, you have already um, and putting those into, into action. Um, so instead of sort of looking at every hurdle as a massive setback and then going straight into fear, it's about identifying what you can do to help yourself. It, it, it's very difficult to ask the answer these questions generically yeah. because everybody is very different and no one journey is the same. It, you cannot compare yourself to anyone else, and that's the first thing I would say. My first rule is never compare yourself to anybody else because everybody's journey is different. 
I never have the same consultation with, with, you know, I can have back-to-back new patients all day and I will not have the same consultation with anyone. I will not give the same advice because what is right for one person is not right for another person. So it, it is almost impossible for me to give that kind of generic advice. However, um, you know, there are certain ways that you can go about this. You can address your lifestyle, you can address your diet, you can find good practitioners that specialize in this area. Um, I think it's worth looking for holistic practitioners to support you. My my approach is always an integrated approach. So I you know if somebody goes to a doctor that's obviously worthwhile doing if you've been trying for a long time or if you haven't had a period. But it's also worth going to see somebody like a, a nutritionist or an acupuncturist, you know, somebody that could support your your general health. Because uh, doctors are not specialists in fertility mm. and also Western medicine is not specialized in nourishing health. It's really good at treating illness and disease in acute situations, but it's not very good at, you know, um, uh, cultivating health, actually. Uh, we don't have a history of it. We tend to wait for things to go wrong and then we try and treat them and fix them. And the thing with fertility is there may not be anything wrong. So it really opens it up to, you know, being able to be addressed through other methods like looking at your lifestyle and diet and having things like acupuncture. Um, because in the absence of there being anything wrong medically, what, what else can you do? You know, you're still suffering, um, yet you're being told all the time that there's nothing really wrong. Of course, if you're not having periods after, after a certain period I, I always have to period period <laughs> after a certain period of time and um, you are going to have to address that and I, I think you know after six months it's worth going to the doctors about that as well um you know they may send you away but I actually it's not healthy not to have you know more than a few periods in a year so you want to be having two or three periods in a year mm. so there's lots of information out there. Not all of it is good. I really suggest that people work with experts. So if they're following people on Instagram or if they're listening to podcasts, please make sure that that person is A, qualified and B, has clinical experience. You know, there, there are a lot of people out there who are um, influencers and they don't have clinical experience and they don't have the right to say some of the things that they're saying um, of course they're not um, they don't have to be insured by any um, professional body so they have nothing to lose right? right people like me have to be very careful about what we say and the advice that we give because we can lose our license people who have no license can say what they like Mm. So um, this is this is a lot. This is what's really happening at the moment, and people have to be very discerning about that. So I think what's really happened is that the medical profession are being very slow to get on board with the healthy eating message um, and you know healthy lifestyle message. And so what's happened at the other end of the spectrum is that the non-qualified people have proliferated. And, you know, somewhere in the middle is the truth. You know, diet and lifestyle is important, but it clearly can't fix everything. You know, turmeric can't fix everything. <laughs> Other on toast cannot fix everything. <laughs> you know, celery juice cannot fix everything. Oh, what is with this celery juice cra- craze? I, I have to say I'm not into it. Are you into it? I'm not into juicing per se, um, but I am somebody who likes to um, 
uh, who doesn't make a judgment without trying things. So I am actually experimenting with the celery juice. Are you? Well, it will be the third juicer that I have bought because having been in this this world for 25 years, I have tried juicing in the past and quite <laughs> throwing juices away. Uh, I am not a believer in juices, but I think if you use, uh, and I am not a believer in all of the claims that are being made about celery juice. <laughs> However, for some people, celery is a very powerful food but it's, it's about the right it's about using it in the right circumstances and this is what irritates me about most people's approaches is it's one size fits all there is no way that celery juice is beneficial for everybody however there will be some people in some circumstances that celery juice is quite helpful for it's very cooling um, it, it, you know, has it has a lot of benefits. It's well known um, for rheumatoid arthritis, but all of these other claims that have been made about it are frankly outlandish. So, do you know what I mean? It's a yeah, balance, absolutely. And um, from a Chinese medicine point of view, what we're able to do is we're able to die, make a diagnosis and say to him, "Do you know what?" Actually, a bit of celery juice would be okay for you, but make sure you have something warm before you have it because it's very cold and it can damage the digestive system. You know, you get diarrhea. Well, that's not the toxins leaving your body. That's the damage it's doing to your digestive system. So, you, you know, what? It, it's, it's, it's not as – all of these things are not simple and they're not black and white. But what we're being led to believe in the media and on social media, etc., is that it's very simple – you just do this and you get your results. And, of course, if people are tying themselves in knots and feeling frustrated when they don't get the results that they've been promised um, because life isn't that simple. No. And nutrition isn't that simple. Nutrition is very complex. The same person is not going to respond in the same way um, to somebody else. But not only that, the same person will respond differently to different foods at different times of the day, at different times of the year, at different times in their cycle, at different ages. So it, it's just not that simple, no. sadly. <laughs> so I've had a couple of questions, um, which I would love to ask you if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so one of them was um, about PCOS and that it seems to be quite a quite on topic at the moment. It seems to be in the media quite a lot, across Instagram quite a lot. I had um, a girl asking that if you have that, what does that mean for your fertility or what can that mean for your fertility and what what's best to, to do about it? I mean, essentially is see someone just like yourself would be my first recommendation. But what would yours be as the expert? So PCOS, it is going to, again, it manifests differently in different people. Mm. So one of the things you want to clarify is, is it PCOS or is it hypothalamic amenorrhea? Now, I'm seeing that this is quite misdiagnosed quite a lot. If you're only being looked at on a scan and they're saying, oh, you've got cysts on your ovaries, you've got polycystic ovaries, that isn't a good enough diagnosis. You need to have a blood test because your bloods, and I won't go into all the details, but the bloods results will tell us whether it's polycystic ovaries or whether it's hypothalamic amenorrhea. And I'm seeing this misdiagnosed very regularly at the moment. You have to look at the history as well. Did this come about after, you know, excessive exercise and weight loss? If so, it's more likely to be hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, in which case your LH, your luteinizing hormones, will be low. 
Um, so first of all, that's the first thing to establish is, is it actually polycystic ovaries? Now, polycystic ovaries is, if it is that, is a huge, it covers a huge spectrum anyway. It's a bit like saying irritable bowel syndrome. Right. It, it, you know, it can be everything from the full bone and ovulatory. So you don't ovulate, you've got facial hairs, you've got problems with weight, blood sugars, you know, all of that. Uh, to very minor just ovaries that look on the scan as if they've got cysts on them. So clearly there's going to be different strategies for different people. Mm. The one thing that I find that there's a couple of things that I find work really well, um, balancing your blood sugars and, and cutting out sugars from the diet is very, very good. Um, in my book, Fertile, there is a whole section on um, eating throughout the cycle to help balance the hormones. And um, Marilyn Glenville wrote a good book on polycystic ovaries, and I forget the name. So there is a lot that you can do from a dietary point of view, and I think that is really a good place to start um, because we do get really good results in clinic in in looking um, at the diet. Um it can be tricky um, when you're talking about um, IVF because although people with polycystic ovaries tend to be quite fertile in, like the, in, the, in that they've got a lot of eggs, quite often when you go to the IVF arena and you start stimulating the ovaries, you produce a lot of eggs and um, a lot of eggs that aren't necessarily of good quality. So you have to really make sure that the IVF clinic that you work with is is skilled at giving you the right dose of medication so that you don't develop something called ovarian hyperstimulation. Mm -hmm. And that's when you develop so many eggs um, that it can can be threatening to life, you know, in very severe situations. And it's at least it's very uncomfortable and can jeopardize the pregnancy. Um, so, So actually, women with polycystic ovaries can be very fertile but they can be quite difficult to treat as well. You really need to work with really good experts. I find that acupuncture works very well when combined with lifestyle changes and diet. Um, We see women at different stages of the menstrual cycle. Having acupuncture around ovulation helps to stimulate the ovaries. We can see that changes in the LH, the luteinizing hormone, when women have acupuncture. So that can be very, very useful as well. Brilliant advice. Thank you. So I also have a another question from a lady who is 35 and she says she has she feels so much pressure to start a family before she reaches 40. Um, What's your advice on having a child after 40 years of age? Okay, so again, we're all different and we all age at different at different rates. However, uh, as we as we get older, it is more difficult to conceive because some of the embryos that we have, we have our, we have all the eggs inside of us when we're born, and they last our lifetime. And um, what happens to an egg is it is it goes through a, a stage of development called oocytogenesis, and this is where it's in the ovaries and it develops into an egg, which is released to ovulation. And it comes under the quality of the egg will come under the influence of the ovarian environment. So if the person is very healthy and their mother had a late menopause and 
lots of other factors. It, it could be that you could be fertile, you know, well into your forties. But having a second or third child in your forties is quite different to having a first child. Having your first child, a first child in your forties can be problematic. Now, it by no means means it's impossible, but we just don't know until you get there, and then you might have missed your window. Mm. So there are things that you could do. We definitely don't smoke <laughs> um, because that ages us by about 10 years in terms of fertility. Um, you want to stay on top of, of your sexual health or so your STDs and things like that. Knowing when your mother went into menopause is a good idea. Perhaps get a, a pay to have an, an AMH and an FSH test done and an antral follicle scan so that you have some um, knowledge about where your fertility is at now. Knowledge is power, yeah? Mm -hmm. So that will give you some idea about, about the health of your fertility, if you like. Um, see a gynecologist. Make sure your tubes are patent, so that means that your tubes are functioning well. Make sure your uterus looks healthy. You know, do all of those things you can to check. And, and maybe you can consider freezing your eggs. If you're 35, it's still just about okay to freeze your eggs. Um, many women are sort of coming to this a bit later, you know, sort of 38, 40, wanting to freeze their eggs. Really, you want to be freezing eggs as young as possible. Um, so, um, and also what I see a lot of is people who are leaving it later and then they try in their 40s, they can't conceive, so they go to, to they turn to IVF and actually your chances of conceiving through IVF in your 40s are only about 5% per IVF cycle. Mm. So, not, you know, we're not just statistics. There will be women who fall pregnant in their 40s. And if you went to a gynecologist in, in, at 40 or 45 even, if you were still having periods and you said to that gynecologist or doctor, you know, we don't want children, should we use contraception? They would be telling you yes for a good few many years. However, our chances of conceiving do reduce and our chances of chromosomal abnormalities and therefore miscarriage do increase with age. Okay, thank you. So that brings me on to um, a question from a lady saying that she's concerned um, that IVF is going to be her next option. She's very nervous about IVF. Um, she's concerned about risks and has very little information on IVF and is just nervous about it. Um, I know very little about IVF. I wondered if you could, if it's even possible to give a very brief overview of what IVF would look like to someone who thinks it might be their next option to look into. I mean, the first thing to say, I would say about this is when I first started working in the area of fertility, of course, as a natural practitioner, I was very conflicted about IVF. Um, and I spoke to a lot of gynecologists and a lot of doctors and, you know, I did a lot of research. And actually, there's more um, health risks associated for a woman um, never having a child than there is with IVF. So I think we have to get it into perspective. Um, obviously, with any, whenever you start, you know, manipulating your hormones, there are going to be side effects. We, we, I talked about the uh, ovarian hyperstimulation earlier. That's, that is a genuine concern for some women. But mostly the women that I see over the years actually cope really well with it. the injections and the drugs and things like that but but actually 
probably the toughest thing is the emotional journey. It's the getting through each stage. Um, you know, are, am I going to produce any any eggs? Is the sperm going to fertilize the eggs? Are the egg, are the embryos that we produce going to make it? To, you know, to day three or day five, is there going to be anything left to transfer back into the body? So there are many sort of hurdles that you have to get through. And then, of course, they they put the embryo back in, and you have to wait two weeks to find out whether you're pregnant or not. Mm. So that can be pretty stressful. Um, and a lot of what I do is sort of supporting women through that. Okay. Um, last question, and it's actually quite a relevant question to me, but it's not. It's not my question. But um, top tips for getting your sex life back after having a baby. I think um, you know you have you have to prioritize these things. I, I think a lot of people get into. I mean, this isn't really an area that I deal with, to be honest, because okay. you know, unless people are trying to have a baby, mm-hmm. um, in which case, my advice advice is always to prioritize sex rather than schedule it and I think that uh, it's natural to you know for sex to sort of fall by the wayside a bit and I think you have to make an effort and I think you have to make a commitment to it so um, I think prioritizing it rather than scheduling it is a good place to start but that most the scheduling mostly comes with when you're actually trying to conceive um, yes. Yeah, I think you just have to. I think we all have to make an effort to keep these things alive because in this day and age, it's very easy. There's so many other things to do. You know, I always say in the 1950s, you know, there wasn't much to do of an evening really. The telly started about nine if you were lucky to have a TV. Um, it was probably quite cold in the house. Uh, you definitely didn't have screens of fabulous things to distract yourself with so sex was probably quite a good option Mm. you know fast forward now I think we all have to kind of make a commitment you know if if that's what you want you know I see I see more and more that that sex isn't as important to people as it used to be and I think I think that's kind of sad in a way yeah I read your blog post on that was it was it the one titled something about technology um Um, or stole our sex lives was it the the mortgage or the yeah that's it it was a great a great blog post i highly recommend listeners you go and check out emma's blog on her website it's brilliant (laughs) i was having a good old read through them um over the last couple of days technology in the bedroom is a bit of a no-no isn't it oh absolutely absolutely i mean my husband and i are still very much in separate rooms um because the baby's still in with me um so our sex life is out of the window completely right now but hoping it will come back eventually (laughs) oh bless you oh well thank you so so much emma for really really knowledgeable um information there thank you so much um if people want to find you um hunt down things like your 90 days fertile program how can they do that where's where's your clinic all that kind of all that kind of info how can they get hold of you so I have a clinic on the King's Road, um, and um, and my website is emmacannon.co.uk. 
And if you go to my website, it has everything on there that you might need. If you sign up for my newsletter, then you get 10% off the 90 Days Fertile program. So, yeah, the website is emmacannon.co.uk, has all the information you need on there. All of my books are on Amazon. And, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much, Emma, for joining me on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it, as do my listeners, I am sure. Thank you very, very much. Okay, bye. Thanks, Emma. Bye. I'm incredibly grateful to Emma for joining me on the podcast. I hope if you are trying, you may have some pointers there. If you have any questions, do be sure to hunt her down. If not, you can always pop me a direct message on Instagram at mumtalkpodcast or you can email at mumtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Now, I need your help. So we're coming to the end of this series. I'm going to wrap it with next week. And next week, I'm going to do a big Q&A podcast episode. So anything that you want to ask, it can be absolutely anything. No, um, I have no limits. Ask away preferably mum, baby, relationship related, obviously in the theme of Mum Talk podcast. But if there's something else you're really eager to know, then I will answer that as well. So all questions, either DM me at Mum Talk podcast on Instagram or email me mumtalkpodcast at gmail.com and I will answer your questions on the podcast next week. Have a lovely rest of your week. Lots of love. Bye.